1: I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. I posted on my social media recently that I'd be moving my publishing schedule to every other week instead of weekly. Yet, here I am, publishing one week after my last episode. I can't help myself. I have so many valuable conversations that I want to share with you that I'm going to try to publish every week. If I miss one here or there, I apologize, but I'd rather try than not. So in this week's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Louis Profeta. Dr. Profeta has decades of experience as an emergency physician at St. Vincent Hospital of Indianapolis, a level one trauma center. He is also an award-winning writer. You may be familiar with some of his work, including his essay titled, A Sunday Talk on Sex, Drugs, Drinking, and Dying, on the topic of drugs, sexual assault, and and alcohol abuse on college campuses. Dr. Profeta travels the country talking to college students, and his approach is extremely direct and brutally honest. Trigger warning. We talk about drug and alcohol abuse and the experience of losing a child, so please consider that before listening to this episode. My goal in interviewing Dr. Profeta is to help educate parents about how to prepare their teens for college and life after high school in order to keep them safe. During our conversation, Dr. Profeta shares his wisdom and experience on topics including how to get through to your kids during the tough conversations, the danger of sending your kids to college with prescription drugs, and how to tell if your teen is truly ready to go to college. This is a must-listen for every parent of teens. So let's get started. Hi, Dr. Provetta. Thank you so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you for having me. This is a super important conversation, and I'm grateful that you're here to talk with me today. Um, before we get into all the questions I have, and there's a lot of them, um, would you mind just giving a quick intro about who you are and what you do?
0: Well, I'm, I'm an emergency physician in Indianapolis. Um, I work at a level one trauma center. Uh, I'm the old guard of our group. I think now I'm the oldest doc in our group and doing this for something like 27 years. I'm also on the board of directors for Forensic Services for the City of Indianapolis. We handle all the the, the crimes, homicides, things like that for the for the city. Um, I'm a writer. I, a, I have a best-selling book. I've done TED Talks, and I travel around the country speaking on a variety of issues, uh, not only involving uh, children, you know, teens and college students, but everything from end life care to the heroin epidemic to um, a whole variety of things, burnout, medicine, and spirituality. So I'm quite busy, but I love it.
1: Yeah, you are busy. And you're doing so much good work. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes to your TED Talk, to the essays that you've written, a link to your book, all the things, because I think my listeners are definitely going to want to read those and watch those. Um, So today we're going to talk about helping teens find their way to become college ready or life ready. Um, But I want to ask you a quick question first, because you know, it's not, a, it's not a simple decision to become an emergency room physician, right? I mean, right. when you were a teenager and, and when you were starting college, w- was medicine in your plan?
0: When I was a teenager, I was uh, thought I was going to be an Olympic caliber gymnast, believe it or not. So that's sort of where my path was going. I, wow. I knew what I was going to do, maybe business, something like that. And I had a bad injury when I was 17. I fell and broke my neck uh, competing and uh, sort of ended my, my career. And when I was in the hospital, um, I was sort of stuck trying to figure out what in the hell I was going to do with the rest of my life. And um, I decided to become a doctor. And I was a uh, horrible high school student. I was a C student. And if I had to apply to college today, uh, I wouldn't get in. In fact, I, wrote, I, I gave my commencement speech at my high school not too long ago, and, which was an incredible thrill. And I sort of mapped it out. They, wrote, they published my commencement speech in the Washington Post. But I was a horrible, I was a horrible student, and, but I just decided one day the switch went off, and I couldn't do gymnastics anymore. and couldn't be an athlete, so I tried to find another outlet, and that's when I finally opened a book. But I don't think I opened a book until I was uh, a freshman in college.
1: Well, that's a great lesson for those kids who might be unmotivated, uninterested, or not great students in high school. That you too can become an emergency physician yeah. with a lot of school and a lot of hard work.
0: Yeah.
1: So let's talk about that. I mean, you spent over two decades in emergency medicine. You've seen it all. I can imagine, and and as you've said in your TED talk and in the essays that that you've written. You've had to give horribly bad news to parents. You've had to pump Narcan Narcan into kids. You've had to do all kinds of examinations and and see kids in all kinds of really troubling situations. So what do you have to say to parents? I mean, look, we all know the reality. We know that our kids go off to college or go out into the world and make bad decisions, right? Because their brains are not completely formed. But how can parents kind of help their kids and, and prevent that kind of tragedy that happens later. Well,
0: on. you know, one of, one of the things that I talk about in a lot of these college discussions and, and in parent groups too, you know, I'll speak at different parent and parent organizations. And I think that one of the things that I've learned over the years is that we have to sort of have a, a paradigm shift in how we, how we talk to our, our children. Well, you know, so many parents say, you know, my kids aren't involved in this or my kids aren't involved in that. And, you know, uh, I have I've had so many friends over the years um, that said, you know, my kid's a different kid. He doesn't drink, doesn't do uh, marijuana. And I'm like, yeah, I know they do. They're all doing it. I mean, literally, they're all smoking weed and they're all drinking. Um, And actually, it's, it's a lot more than it was when I was when I was in high school by by exponentially high. I mean, it is, you know, it's it's legal in so many states. They do not look at it. With the, the level of concern as, as we did when we were younger, and also realize so many of these kids are Ubering and using ride shares, so they they don't even have that specter anymore hanging over them about drinking and driving as much because they the ease of which they can just take an Uber and, and go from point A to point B, which is actually so, you know sort of a good thing in this. So it makes it a, a lot easier for them to access drugs and alcohol, and you can buy this stuff. It's so much easier to buy product like this now, and especially since nobody criminalizes it. um, You can pretty much count on, you know, the vast majority of these kids, you know, using marijuana or using alcohol, and with the proliferation of prescription drug abuse, especially uh, benzodiazepine sedatives, Xanax, sleeping pills, um, opiates, Vicodin, you know, oxycodone, things like that, the ease of getting these pills on the internet is, is astounding. And the parents of these young people today are so far behind in ability to police and stuff. You, you have no ability. And and I I mean, in terms of policing, this behavior, the best that you can hope to do is have a discussion with them and, and talk about not necessarily their mortality because one of the things that I think we fail as parents is that we try to ascribe adult values onto 15 and 16 and 17 year olds. And what I mean by that is that we try to, uh, we try to ascribe our degree of love for a child. And we think that it meshes with their love of us. And it, it's a different type of love. I mean, I, I don't know, Betsy, if you're a parent, um, uh, but, I am. I mean, you thought you knew what love it was, right, until you had a kid. And then it, all of a sudden it became a whole different uh, animal altogether. I mean, and kids do not, they, young people can't grasp that concept until, they're, until the, the, the tables are turned on them. So you have to have a discussion with them and sit and look them in the eye and talk about love and talk about what your life will be like if they die and how that will impact you. And when you have that kind of discussion with your with your child, you sit and you hold their hand, you look them in the face and say, let me explain what my world will look like if you die. I will never be happy. My life will be over. I will not survive it. And you have to, and I try to, when I go to college campuses, when I speak with, with high school uh, students, I try to give them a, a, a window into what that looks like, what it's like to go into a quiet room outside the ER and tell a mother or father her child's been killed. And the, the unbearable darkness of grief and the screaming and the, the palpable nature of that moment and what that looks like and, and how these people's lives look from that point on and how they never recover. They, they do not recover. And you, you have to start there. you got to start in a place of love and then work your way backwards. I mean, none of this crap about, oh, if you do this, I'll never do this. Or if you act this way, you know, you'll disappoint me. Talk about love. Okay. And then you can, you know, sort of move into the conversations of drug and alcohol and, and maybe having, have them understand this and be able to approach in a safe manner.
1: That's really, really good advice because it's true. I've said that before, probably not to my kids. My boys are teenagers now, by the way, um, 15 and 17. And I've said before, like, I don't think I could breathe if anything happened to them. And I read that article that you wrote about – when you lose a young person on, in the emergency room, how you, you go on Facebook or social media to try and find out a little bit about them, like who they were as a person before you go tell the parents that they their child. Yeah, that right. article's
0: called, I'll look at your Facebook profile before I tell your mother you're dead. I think the article's been read 30, 40 million times now. And the whole point of that article is to take a parent and give them a framework where they can take that article to their kid and say, this is me, this is what I will look like. And that is what you will look like when as you want tell them. And I tell these these students, I, you know, they always ask an ER doc, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? And I tell them, worst thing I've ever seen is look on your mom and dad's face and tell them you're dead. And there's nothing more horrible in emergency medicine than, than that. There is nothing worse. I can't,
1: I can't even imagine. And this is hard. I mean, this is a hard conversation to have as a parent of teens, but it's an important conversation to have. And as you said, now's the time to have it. Not when they're 20, 25, like 15, 16, 17, you know, and, and I, I've heard this from others before. If you think your kids aren't doing it, your kids are doing it. They're all doing it. They're all experimenting. They're all doing something. So don't bury your head in the sand, but have the important
0: conversation. And, and, and parents will say, well, my kid's not doing it. They get drug tested at school for sports. They all buy the urine on the internet. <laughs> it's so easy to attain. It's, it's not even worth it discussing, you know, we'll have parents will bring their kids in and say, well, I want them tested for marijuana. and you know, I'll just look at the kid and I say, tell them you're smoking weed. <laughs> just tell them. So I don't have to order the test and tie you up here for an hour. Okay. You know what? I know oh it. <laughs> okay. And they go, okay, see there, mom. All right. It's not the bed." you know?
1: So, um, you said in one of the, one of your articles, um, College will still be there. It's not a race to adulthood. And I say that all the time. I'm like, take a gap year or, you know, figure it out. But I talk about it from an academic standpoint. You talk about it from a different standpoint. And that's like real world survival. Right? Absolutely.
0: there. And you, you ask pretty much any ER doc in America. We'll tell you that the generation of students entering college now have nowhere near the emotional IQ that they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and You know, social media has had a tremendous impact on this. COVID has had an even greater impact over the last couple of years. So many of these young people have no business being in college right now. And this race to adulthood and this race to um, uh, mapping out um, young people's lives kind of has to stop. And, you know, as parents will say, well, how do I know if my kid's mature enough for college? And I just say, listen, do you feel comfortable right now leaving your home letting your kid stay at your home, going away somewhere for six months, knowing that your house will be completely taken care of with, with your 17 or 18 year old. And if the answer is no, your kid has no business being in college. I'm dead serious. I mean, we're talking about basic things, of responsibility. You think your kid will pay the bills. You think your kid will turn the lights off, lock the doors. You think your kid will uh, clean the laundry, uh, get food, uh, make themselves dinner, be able to feed for themselves, shop for themselves, do everyday, you know, uh, Behaviors of, of of caring for themselves and, and their property and their home and being responsible. The answer is no. You think somehow the college is gonna <laughs> make make that happen for them? No. Keep them at home. Get let them work as a as a host or a, a greener at Walmart. Let them go work at Starbucks for a year. Get them a construction job, but keep them at home and let them grow up a little bit. Let them you know let them push a mop or a broom for a year. Okay, it's not a rush. You're setting them up for failure. You're setting them up to throw them into an environment that they're not mature enough to handle, okay, and then they're going to fail out of it, or they're going to get swept up into drugs or alcohol or other vices, and um, they're not going to be able to cope, and they're going to be back here. And then you've lost a year, you've, you've, you've wasted a year of tuition, and then you've put all this self-doubt in them that they can really do it or not. So that that's sort of been my feeling, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think our sk- our schools are still doing it too, right? They're saying, okay, you graduate high school and you go to college. There's no talk about are you ready or what's a good next step for you, which, again, people are sick of hearing me say on this podcast.
0: Not only that, so much of the stuff you can learn online before you even go to college, so much of the basic stuff, you know, um, so that you're not completely overwhelmed. I mean, you can go to Khan Academy and learn half of these courses um on your own and and be way ahead of the game once you go to start school so get you know give them a little bit more in the way of, of toolset
1: and we'll be right back after a quick
0: break hello everyone welcome to candy apple advocacy the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education i'm jim mallard and i'm here with my wife tabby
1: we've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education
0: that's why we started this podcast to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children
1: on this podcast we'll talk about everything from general education general school advice the school choices you have available to you different education styles individualized education plans 504s and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for
0: your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. So
1: what else can parents do? I mean, Safety, right? It's all about safety and and trying to prepare our kids for readiness, whatever that looks like. Do you have any other suggestions from, you know, as far as health goes and safety?
0: Well, one of the things I would tell you is college is not there to protect a kid. And um, if you think that you're sending your kid to a safe environment, you're completely wrong. I mean, they've got to have that tool, that tool set. Uh, build into them before they ever set foot on a college campus. You know, you, uh, some of these parents will tell me after they see my talks and say, Well, this should be mandatory on college, your kid, you know it should be mandatory watch. And I always say, what you know mandatory what? You, to, the college, the role of college is to protect your kid from themselves. Now well, the kids have to go in there with a mindset that they're of they have a strength of character to be able to say no and to be able to protect the individual you because when you get to college, college and the idealism on the college campuses is all about the collective you. They don't care about you as an individual. They collect, you know, like if you're a woman, they co- they care about the collective feminism. Or if you're a man, they co- care about the co- sort of the collective demographic. But when it comes to you as an individual person, the focus is not about you as an individual. It's about you as a demographic or you, or you as a subset or whatever. Well, and so the only person that really cares about you on college campuses is, is yourself. and, The the reality is, as scary as it is, is that around twenty percent of people uh, exhibit some degree of sociopathic behavior. I mean, they they don't have empathy, they don't have compassion, and those people are on college campuses too. And um, and if your kid is not able to navigate themselves around those individuals, again, it's not a safe environment for them. And so you have to have a little bit of street smarts before you just you're just thrown into that that soup of of college where where no longer can you hover over your kids and and protect them from everything they have to have that strength of character built in before they go
1: I wonder if that's part of it too though you know so many parents do overparent i've done episodes on this too and hover you know like helicopters and and we take them from that you know that cocoon of overparenting and we throw them into this College environment that's like wide open with all these experiences and people. Twenty percent, by the way, I did not know that number.
0: Well, it doesn't mean they're all uh engaging in, in sociopathic behavior, but that they don't have the best interest of their friends or the other person. Uh, and, yeah. You know, it, it, at heart, they're not there to protect your kid. They're going to egg them on. They're going to do shots with them and things like that. But. You know, you know these uh, parents. I see. I mean, you see it. You see their post on Facebook. And I, I've joked about this in the past, where you have a parent that'll say, "Oh, I've got to get you know Matt moved into campus, and we got to get him a dorm fridge, and we got to get his mattress, we got to get his furniture, we got to help get his class picked out, and we got to meet his roommate, and we got to uh, take a tour of the campus, and blah 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 blah." I mean, they make it sound like a Homeric Odyssey. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. I gave my kid a plane ticket <laughs> and told him my mail is closed. <laughs> that's what. You have, that's literally what you have to do if you don't feel comfortable enough that your kid can go to school and get their own classes and get their own furniture and get their own clothes and get their and meet their own roommate on their own. And you know, are you kidding me? That's you have to have that, and it, it boggles my mind. You've seen it. You everybody. Does. You're like what?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, you see it in social media all the time. And it's funny that a lot of parents use the word. We. Oh, yeah, you think? Ooh, we, we got our room assignment. I'm like, Oh, are you going with them?
0: <laughs> but you know what though? That does show, I think some degree, uh, you know, again, as a clinician looking on the outside in to me, that demonstrates some degree of pathology. Um, and I'm, you know, not cl- necessarily clinical pathology, but that, that, whenever I see stuff like that, this sends a warning sign up to me that that's a kid that's probably not ready for school. None of a I I never went to registration for any of my kids. And they're in their 20s. Mm. I helped them move, to, move in. I'm one of them. I drove them down to Indiana University. That's two went to college in New York City. And literally, we gave them a bus ticket and said, hey, bye. <laughs> Let us know what you need.
1: Wow. Yeah, that'd be hard. I mean, I'll be honest. That'd be hard for me. And I'm trying to be more hands-off. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it, too. You know, we see a lot of this, what they call failure to launch. Right. And that kids get there and then they unravel and they fall apart and they come home. And then what? Right. Then they're like, to your point, they've wasted a year of time, a year of tuition, and they don't know what they're going to do you know, next. You
0: feel that, you know, build, you know, let them stay home for a year. And, you know, put them to work. Them put some money together because they're going to they're going to um rack up an unbelievable amount of Uber charges on your credit card anyway so you might as well let them pocket some cash before you send them off to college right
1: True So did you go to college right after yeah, school I went from
0: kindergarten through residency
1: That's a <laughs> lot of school
0: And and I'll tell you something it's one of those things that I regret that I didn't do that I didn't take some time off I never took any time off and I kind of wish I did but uh, but I didn't have, again, like I was saying with the grades, I had to just go and do what I could do. And literally I set foot on campus my freshman year. And I don't think I left until the second year of medical school. Um, I was there every summer. I was working, uh, summer jobs. I was, I was, you name it. I was doing research in wood rats. I was getting my EMT license. I was a medical engineer, uh, helping design heart catheters, uh, I had every uh, scut job you could name just to, to get a buck. And, um, but it was sort of, I guess it was sort of in my DNA. I mean, it, we didn't come from a whole lot. And um, so, you know, uh, I had to f- sort of find my way. And, um, but I, I was, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I was way too immature to be going to college at the beginning uh, also. But I was so focused on being a doctor that that's sort of where my head was the entire time.
1: I can only speak for when I was in high school, that was the thing. Like you graduated high school and you went to college. There was no question. I, of course, went to college and quit, but that's another story. Um, but but yeah, there was no take a year off, take a gap year, go to work, whatever. That just wasn't a thing. And now that it is, I don't know if it's society, peer pressure, parent pressure, whatever it is. It, most kids are like, no, 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 I can't do that, which... Wouldn't it be great if they all did that? Yeah, I, I wish schools would require I, it. Well,
0: I think, too, that just think about this whole notion of a gap year. Why do you even have to label anything? Uh, you know, I yes, said in that I article, a gap year should be going to work at the gap for a year. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, it, and Or a Starbucks year, whatever the hell it is. But why do we even use that term? It's like we, we're ashamed that our kid, well, yeah, he's not going to go to college. He's going to make some money. Now, I love hearing that stuff. I say, I'll say to young people, Where are you going to, you're going to go to college next year? No, I'm going to take a year off and I want to make some money and I'm going to work construction. I, mean, I think that that, when I hear that, I think that that is the coolest stuff in the world. I'm going to go work on a farm. I'm going to, you know, work auto mechanics. I'm going to work in the garage. I'm going to pocket some cash so I don't have to, you know, uh, dig into my parents' uh, savings. I'm going to make some money. I think that that is, when I hear those things, I always think to myself, that's a kid that's got their, uh, their head screwed on, right? So, that you should be proud yeah. like if your kid comes to you and say, "Yeah, I don't want to go directly to college, Dad. I want to, I want to work, or I want to paint houses, or I want to, you know, whatever it is. Work in landscaping for a year, and make some money, and then I'll go." Man, embrace that. Yeah. That is joyous.
1: I say that too. I'm trying to convince my high school senior to take a gap year, and he wants to no part pick, of it uh, construction and, year. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I agree with you. Gap sounds like a hole. Like there's no nothing bad about it.
0: Trying to whitewash it, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with
1: that. It's wonderful. So can we talk about COVID? Sure. I don't want to talk about COVID, but it feels like it's all we ever talk about anymore. What are you seeing on like college campuses and with high school, you know, with teenagers, are you seeing a surge in that population? What's going on?
0: Well, I mean, these kids are, you know, young people just do not get that sick with COVID. I mean, you you hear about cases because the cases that are real bad. is just like anything else. It's like chicken pox or or flu. When it comes to young people, Um, do young people die of COVID? Sure, they do. But they also die of influenza every year. They die of meningococcal meningitis every year. Um, uh, There's a a thousands of viral different types of viral and bacterial illness that kill young people every year, and it's just so in our face all the time. But you know. I have yet to put a, a young person in the ICU and I've been in the middle of COVID for, uh, you know, going on a year and a half or whatever it is since the beginning. Um, you know, we, we, we have had some children die it at our hospital, I think um, over the years, but they're mostly real young people with significant comorbidities, you know, developmental delays, you know, people with underlying, you know, organ transplants or cystic fibrosis or a variety of other health problems or chronic immunosuppression, cancer patients, stuff. So the most part, young people don't, don't, you know, do fine with it. Um, So should they get vaccinated? Yeah. My feeling is absolutely they should get vaccinated. Um, You know, uh, if, if, you know, if I had a a young kid, I'd have no, no uh, qualms at all about getting vaccinated. So, yeah, I mean, we're seeing COVID, but really for younger people, it's just, a mild febrile illness. They're a lot worse when they have influenza. When they have RSV, um, you know, we have so many young young kids in our pediatric hospital. And I was talking to one of our PZR docs the other day, and he says, "Listen, I've probably done a hundred swabs for COVID in young people, and I've only had a few tests positive. Everybody else is RSV, so respiratory wow. syncytial virus. So, yeah, you know, we're certainly seeing it, but they're just not that sick when it comes to young."
1: What about college campuses?
0: Well, again, I mean, if they, if they don't have any significant comorbidities, and the comorbidities I'm talking about are morbid obesity in younger people, that's a big, uh, a big sort of a risk factor. So morbid obesity or significant underlying pulmonary lung diseases and stuff like that, then I would be uh, concerned. I might, I might not even send them until they're vaccinated.
1: But as far as spread, though, too, I mean, if they're bringing it home from college, and well, if you're a parent,
0: you should be vaccinated, and right. and you, you only have to worry about them bringing it home is if, if you're not vaccinated. We we, you know, we're still seeing COVID cases. We're seeing some people that have been vaccinated um, get COVID, but they're just not that sick. All we care about from an ER standpoint, when you look at these numbers on on TV, and they say, "Oh, we had twelve thousand cases of COVID." Well. I don't care about the cases. All I care about is hospitalizations and deaths. That's the only number you really should be paying atten- attention to. And the vast majority of those people, almost all of them, um, are in unvaccinated. I have yet to admit a vaccinated COVID patient with recurrent COVID. And it's it's extremely rare. It's all unvaccinated. So yeah, if your kid's coming home from college and you're not vaccinated, you only have yourself to blame. Okay. So get vaccinated. And if you don't want to get vaccinated, send your kid off to college. What I would do is make sure everybody has your passwords, knows where your safety deposit box key is, have the will spelled out, have plans about end-of-life care, because that's probably where you're headed. That's the reality of the situation.
1: That's a painful reality. That's
0: what all of us were doing when we were going to work at the beginning of COVID. Every one of my partners, we were updating our wills. We were talking to our friends, making them our medical power of attorneys. We were Giving our passwords out it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible pre-vaccine. And when when all of us working in the department, when we finally got our vaccines, I mean, literally, we were crying in the vaccination line because we sat there day in and day out with people and watching them die the most horrible deaths. And people that that poo-poo this or downplay it um, and decide not to get their vaccines that's where that's where you're headed. And there's nothing nothing worse than watching people die that sit there and go, "Man, I wish I'd gotten vaccinated."
1: Yeah, because it was preventable. Sure. Well, before we go any further, thank you to you and everyone else out there that has done, has given so much time and so much effort and just been through. I, I can't imagine how hard this has been for all of you. So thank you for all that you guys do. Oh,
0: you That's what we do.
1: So is there anything else that you want to say to parents or even, you know, if they're teens or college kids or hopefully listening with them, any final words of advice?
0: Yeah. If your kid is on ADHD medicines, if you're on Adderall or amphetamines, your kid's going to be the most popular kid on college campuses. Okay. Because everybody's going to try to buy that, that, uh, those pills from them and they're going to try to steal them from them and they're going to, um, negotiate trades with them for other drugs. Okay. So, um, really think twice. About um, um, having those kids on those things, uh, also Xanax and anti-anxiety mm-hmm. medications. Um, you know, they 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 should not be on campus with those pills. I mean, they're incredibly dangerous. You have to treat them like a firearm if they are on these on these pills. Meaning that they're going to be the things that are going to be stolen first. Um, mm-hmm. Other other drugs that you need to be aware of are uh, nitrous oxide canisters, whippets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can cause sudden death, uh, cocaine. We're seeing a resurgence in a lot of the Xanax. You know, like I was saying, kids will buy what we call bars of Xanax. Um, a lot of it is really fentanyl, which is like heroin, synthetic heroin, that all it is is pressed into a shape of a Xanax bar. So kids will take, uh, get, a, a, a bar of Xanax from a friend or whatever. Um, and then they'll go into respiratory arrest. Some will die. And then when we, we, test them there isn't xanax in the system it's it's opiates mm-hmm. it's fentanyl and benzodiazepine and, and narcotic uh, those types of narcotics so all they do is shape these pills into 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 um shape the opiates into to make them look like other types of pills i mean what's the world coming to if you can't trust a drug dealer right but no that's the reality of the situation um you know talk to them about um responsible alcohol use and marijuana use. If you're a parent, don't eat any of your kids' candy if they if you find it in their in their laundry. You wouldn't believe how many parents we have that come in and it looks like they're having a cerebellar stroke. what they did was they ate a bag of gummies that was in their kids' pant pocket. Looks like, you know, regular old gummy bears or different candies or mints or wow. things like that. And they're all wow. milk. And and know that if you know you have a younger sibling, you know, we will help put your child in jail. If that, if you bring a five-year-old brother or sister in and they get into that stuff and they come in, um, overdosed on, on THC products, uh, we will take that kid out of the house. Okay. So you can be a very honorable, good family, but if, um, your younger child gets exposed to those realized child protective services is going to be involved and, um, there's going to be, you know, sort of hell to pay. So I tell the young people stay away from the edibles.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. Wow, this is it, it's eye opening. I had no idea. So, this has been like I said, I'm a little bit speechless right now because I'm just sitting here listening to all this thinking I need to have a conversation with my kids.
0: Well, but it's it's not it, ultimately though, and I'm going to tell you, it's don't be afraid of college. Just look at your your kid individually. It's not the college. It's your your kid's ability to to move in that world that you need to be aware of. OK, don't spend your time worrying about all the threats on college campus. Just worry about your kids' inner strength of character, their ability to say no. Have them understand, you know, what love looks like and what love means. OK, in your relationship with them, have these open, honest discussions with them. If you do that, you don't have to worry about anything else. That's essentially your vaccine for college, right? It's giving them a look into their future and your future without them in it. And, um, and then encourage them to make the right des- decisions, teach them responsible drinking, you know, expose them to fine wines and good bourbons and good scotches. This way they don't show the plastic tube of a funnel and have somebody pour a, a, a cheap Bud Light, you know, can down their mm-hmm. gullet, you know, teach them responsible drinking, teach them how to, you know, they appreciate some of that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. Do that.
1: Great advice. So, like I said, I'm going to put the links to all the things we talked about earlier. What about social media? Can people follow you on Twitter?
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't do Twitter that much anymore. I, if, uh, I, I'm if i mostly on LinkedIn. I've got a huge following on LinkedIn. If you go to lewisprofeta.com, if you also go to Greek University, if you're, uh, if you're a college organization and you'd like me to come out and speak on your campus or to your fraternity or sorority, or if you're, you know, I, I go to a lot of high schools too. Typically, they're going to be private high schools. Um, or private parent organizations will hire me. It will get together and hire me, and I'll, I'll go out to different cities uh, and speak. Um, I, I obviously, as you could tell, Betsy, I'm a pretty straight talker, and I tend to talk with a lot of obscenities, and and so
1: I like that. <laughs> I like that about you. <laughs> so, um, uh,
0: I'll be happy to come out and and speak, and we can always make arrangements if if you're you know if you have a parent organization out there. But uh, I am not for the faint of heart. OK, I'm, I'm not your kid's babysitter, but I will help them navigate that world and help you as a parent navigate that world, too.
1: Well, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm sure my listeners will be, too, because we need to hear it. We need to hear it straight. And you're seeing it firsthand up close.
0: Sure. And, I, and I'd rather um, talk to your kid when they're upright than you know, when they're laying flat and cold. Mm. So it's a, It's a much easier conversation to have.
1: Gosh, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Well, my conversation with Dr. Perfetta was eye-opening, and if I'm being honest, not an easy one. You may have heard me stumble on my words and clear my throat more than a few times. It's because some of what was shared was really hard for me to process. As a parent of two teen boys who are just a few short years away from leaving the nest, I, like most parents, worry about their safety out in the world when I can't protect them anymore. But as Dr. Profeta said, the best thing we can do as parents is to have these hard conversations now. It's easy to say, we'll talk about this later, or my kid would never do that. But sadly, as we read in the news and hear about on social media, tragedies are happening in families just like ours. As difficult as this topic is to think about... I hope this conversation was helpful to you as you prepare your teens for life during and after high school. Thanks so much for tuning in today. As always, I'm very grateful you're listening, and I'd appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback, and I'd love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. Be sure and check out the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 4 where I will include all links mentioned during this episode. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.